Welcome to Fairfield. What are you reading? A next book podcast from the Fairfield Public Library in Fairfield, Connecticut. I am Philip Barr, your host and head of adult services. Each month we gather a group of library staff together for a conversation about what we are reading, what we're reading, what we've just finished, what we're excited about coming soon. Most of the books will be new, some will be older. The group will focus on books we love and hopefully you will too. The mood of this podcast is relaxed. Imagine you come into the library, ask a librarian for a next read, and a couple more people stop by, and soon everyone is trading their favorite new reads. Listen in now as we begin. Hello, I'd like to welcome everyone to episode five of What Are You Reading? A next book podcast from Fairfield Public Library in Fairfield, Connecticut. Today is June 10th. 2021. My guests and colleagues are Sue Bala and Claudia Silk. We will be discussing our favorite new books, both fiction and nonfiction, as well as what we read recently, what we're reading right now, and what's on the horizon for the rest of the summer. So why don't we jump right in and maybe Claudia, could you get us started? Great. Hi, everybody. I was thinking about this and I was going through my Goodreads list and I've been reading a lot in advance lately and I thought, uh uh-oh, I don't want to do that because I wouldn't want to listen to a podcast where the book, none of the books were out. So as I went through, I I realized I lead a book club for the um, Fairfield Public Library. I lead two right now. And lately we've been having some really great discussions. So I thought I would talk about a couple of those books. And as I was writing them down, I also realized they're historical fiction. So they're either good for a great book club discussion, or they're good if you just love historical fiction. And the first one is, I was gonna discuss is The Exiles by Christina Baker Klein. This was a really fascinating look about, um, I've always known Australia was a penal colony, but I always thought of men prisoners. I never thought of women prisoners. So this is a story of three women. Two of the women are actually prisoners who are brought from England to Australia. And one of the characters is an Aboriginal story and they all do link together. It was fascinating. She did amazing, amazing amount of research when you read the end notes and you understand the facts that she brought into a novel were just um, outstanding. Like the women, the women traveled in slave ships from um, England, which I never knew they were, you know, they weren't using them for slaves anymore. So they used them for these women prisoners. So I would highly recommend, and if you haven't read Christina Baker Klein, she wrote The Orphan Train, which was excellent, and A Piece of the World. Sue, did you read either one of those? I read News of the World. Is a that- Piece of the World. This a one is A Piece of the World. Of the world. No. Um, that, that was really good too. I think it was about like an, the real life character in an Andrew Wyeth painting. Hmm. So, um, so that was one, and we really had a very, um, one of those conversations that I actually had to cut off because we were running out of time. And were the women like, were, were they all different kinds of um, crimes or was it well, all part you know, of When you read it, their crimes are really crimes of poverty. Oh. You know, either they're orphans or, you know, they have no way to make their way in the world. So maybe they're like um, selling themselves or stealing or doing something. But right. most of the characters that you meet, there's, uh, there's such a so much behind why they were prisoners and not because they were common criminals. Uh, Right now, I'm almost at the end of Anthony Doerr's newest book. It's coming out, I believe in September. Yep. It's called uh, Cloud Cuckoo Land. Mm -hmm. And if you've read All the Light We Cannot See, 
you know how wonderful a writer he is. All the Light We Cannot See is one of my favorite, if not my absolute favorite book of all time. And this Great. book is turning out to be up in my top five. Oh my gosh. That's um, I could have finished it this morning, but I didn't want to rush through it. He just, he has such characters that you feel you know them completely. This book though takes place in the past, present and future. Wow. So I made the mistake of trying to read it a little bit at a time. It, when you start it, you need to devote some time to it just so you know all the characters and all the, the time periods. Hmm. But it is just beautifully written. It's about stories and libraries and the power of words. Hmm. And it, it's just beautiful. Wow. And all his interviews, he's been talking that he basically wrote this book as a love letter to librarians, correct? Yes. Um, he does say that in the beginning, the, the intro of the book. And any interview he's done, he stresses that this really is. Um, so why wouldn't we love it? And it's his first book in seven years, right? I think All the Light We Cannot See was 2014. Right, right. And it, it took some time, but it is so worth it. Oh, that's great. Can't wait. Um, I've also just finished... Uh, not quite the same thing called um, a book called the final girl support group. Hmm. And that was by Grady Hendrix. And it's, if you've watched eighties slasher movies or horror movies like Friday the 13th or Halloween, anything like that, according to this book, there are always girls, one final girl left the movies are based on their lives. So the, there's a support group for all the final girls of these real life mass killings. Mm. It's, it's considered horror, but it's got some humor in it too. So they all have this support group and now someone is trying to kill all the final girls. And one of them is from, you know, her brother escaped in a sane asylum and came to kill her while she was babysitting. Another girl was the only girl left at a camp after someone's son came or a son's mother came to kill everybody. So you can guess which movies they are from, but someone well, is trying to kill them. And there's one of the final girls. Um, she is extremely paranoid and she knows something's going on. She doesn't think these accidents are really accidents. She thinks someone's trying to get them. So she's trying to figure out who it is that's trying to kill all the final girls. So it, it was good. It was funny and horror <laughs> filled. So it, it was a good combination. Um, he also wrote something that a lot of people liked, um, the Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires. Well, that was very popular. Yep. It was a little gory for me, but you told me that this new one isn't as gory. Uh, well, it's gory, but I mean, it's funny gory, I guess, <laughs> if, if, if there's if such there's a thing. If there's humor with the gore, I think sometimes it's easier to stomach. I guess I'm afraid of vampires, so maybe that's what bothered me about the previous <laughs> book. <laughs> Serial killers are easy, easier to handle, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> One book that I finished recently that is out now is Hour of the Witch by Chris Bojalian. Um, it's historical fiction, takes place in Boston in um, 1662. And... Um, Mary Deerfield, she's 24 years old, beautiful, 
if she lived anywhere but in Boston in 1662, she could have had her uh, pick of husbands, but she ends up with as the second wife of a drunken, dangerous man named Thomas Deerfield, very cruel to her. She wants to divorce him, but back in Boston in 1662, that's not so easy. So uh, Chris Bojalian, again, one of my favorite authors. Agreed. I've, I've read everything he's written. He is so good at, at writing from the point of view of a woman. I think all of his books have female main characters. Yeah. But he, he's just so good. It's a mystery. It's a thriller. It's historical. It makes made me, anyway, upset about how women were treated back then. So yeah. if you can handle that, <laughs> you can get through that. I know I, I always tell people that the different stages of your life make you read differently or, or feel differently about books that you've read. So as a young girl, women's issues didn't really bother me so much when it was just me. As a mother of daughters, they started to bother me even more. And now as a grandmother to two granddaughters, boy, watch out. I don't want to... <laughs> Don't mess with my girls. Exactly. Um, and at the same time, I uh, right, or right after that, I read Ariadne by Jennifer Saint, which is a retelling of a classical myth, uh, similar to Circe by Madeline Miller, which was very popular. Oh, yeah. But um, Ariadne is the tale of Theseus, um, Ariadne and the Minotaur. And she was a princess of Crete, and she went against her cruel father, King Minos, to, to save Theseus from the Minotaur. Um, and though she was doing it for love, the men in her life used her terribly. Again, another problem. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I, yes, I had to move away from books like that and started reading my historical mysteries where the women are confined to their times, to the, the, the constraints of their time, but they're all fiercely independent, strong-willed women. And, and that's what I needed to read after those two books. The girl power stuff. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The hour, it's, it's Hour of the Witch, right? Hour of the Witch by, yeah. by Chris Bojale. Yeah, that's on my to-read to list. I'm, I was, I'm very excited that you, that you talked about that today because that's been on my list. So. It's on mine too. I just, he's such a master storyteller. And I agree, Sue, like with the way he writes from a woman's point of view, sometimes I have to like look at the book and remind myself that it is a man writing it. Um, and, and Sue, you, you have like a special little Twitter relationship with Chris, right? Anytime you say anything yes. about his books, he always responds, he right? Always responds. He comes to my defense sometimes when people don't like my my views of certain books. Wow. Um, <clears throat> I called one of his books a beach read one time um, in a Twitter forum and I was called out and told that that book was certainly not a beach read, but <laughs> um, he came to my defense because one person's idea of a beach read may not be another person's idea of a beach read. Mine is, I would, my beach read, perfect beach read is a book I can get into where I will not be disturbed. I am on the beach, only reading, no one bothering me. I have all the time in the world. Exactly. It could be any kind. It doesn't have to be a 
uh, women's fiction, doesn't have to be romance. It just has to be a good book that I can get into and, and uh, only concentrate on that. A Beach Read to me is the book that I'm reading on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I've been listening to, I listened to a couple of really good books. One, one is fiction, one is nonfiction. The fiction, but they kind of relate to each other and I'll explain. The fiction audiobook that I listened to that really kept me riveted was called The Northern Spy by Flynn Berry. And it's about two sisters in Northern Ireland and, um, and the modern day IRA. And the reason I say it links to my other book is I found this so interesting because I listened to Say Nothing last summer by um, Patrick Radden Keefe. I hope I'm saying his middle name correctly. And that was a, it was a nonfiction about the troubles in Northern Ireland in the early 90s and kind of a history of the entire um, struggle. And Sue, I think you listened to that too. It just really was very eye-opening and a great education of something I really didn't understand. Um, so listening to the Northern Spy, which is a fictional account in Northern Ireland, I felt like I had kind of a background for the story. So it made it even that more interesting to me. And I did you read, listen to Say Nothing? I, I read Say Nothing. Okay. And I was amazed at how many different factions there were. I, I thought there was two just two different sides, but each side had so many different parts. The uh, radical side, a conservative side. I can't, I can't even remember how many different factions there were in the Troubles. I don't know how anyone kept those straight. Exactly. And he did a good job of, well, you know, he centered around a woman with 10 children who was murdered. I, I don't know if it's 10 children, but I feel like it was a lot of children. Um, and then built the, the nonfiction narrative about that family and putting into putting all those pieces together, which he did really well, which leads me into his latest book, which is Empire of Pain, The Secret History of the Sackler Dynasty. And again, this is by Patrick Rad and Keith. And, you know, it's about the opioid crisis, but it's specifically about how the Sackler family, you know, because there's been a lot of books about that, but this is specifically how the Sackler family is involved with this. And it's fascinating. He goes all the way back to the um, origins of the grandparents of the current, or even great grandparents of the current family, and the history of how they got to where they got to in the pharmaceutical industry, which was, which I wouldn't have thought was fascinating, but it really was fascinating. And there's a lot of local color in it too, because they they had Purdue Pharma. They started in Norwalk, or they outgrew that. They went to Stanford. They have a waterfront estate in Greenwich. And then also, as you go into museums, if you went down to the Smithsonian, there was a Sackler Gallery. Um, at MoMA, the temple is, was donated by the Sackler family, which their names have been removed now, but you'll understand why as you listen to this. And he just does such a great job. And there's some intrigue too, because he was writing this book. He wrote a lot of it during um, lockdown during the pandemic. And there was a car parked out on his street quite a few times where the neighbors were starting. And they were, there was a man in there just keeping an eye on his house. And he knew it was intimidation. And there were other things that they tried to intimidate him with, with phone calls and legal action and all that kind of thing. Now, you can't, he can't relate it directly to the Sacklers, but why else would somebody be hanging out outside his, 
is kind of the conclusion he comes to. So I highly recommend The Empire of Pain. It's a real eye-opener. So I think um, I'll jump in. Uh, it's, uh, it's June when we're recording this. And for Pride Month, um, it's the interesting thing about Pride Month this year is that there's been a lot of new releases of books. Um, you know, we talk about, um, when, or at least when I talk about Pride, uh, you know, LGBT books, it can be either the author or it can be the, the content. Here, we're really talking about a lot of um, LGBT authors, but primarily content for the, mo for the most part. So I'm just going to jump through a couple of these books. Uh, a number of them I've read recently, and then a couple of them are just things that I'm really looking forward to that I've heard great things about. So the first one, um, Claudia, you mentioned audiobooks. So the last audiobook that I listened to is Twilight Man, Love and Ruin in the Shadows of Hollywood and the Clark and Empire. This is by um, a young woman named Liz Brown. I love these kind of books, whether they're nonfiction or fiction. It's sort of everyday people who get swept up in rich people's lives. I don't know if I, I, there's not really a genre for that, but I just love that. This book, even though, even though it reminds me of Leading Men by Christopher Castellani, even though that book was a fiction book, this is nonfiction. So in the 1920s, um, there was a guy named Will Clark. He was Will Clark Jr. His father, was literally um, a mining tycoon during the first part of the 20th century. And he, was, he mined more copper in the Midwest than anyone in the country. So he became hugely wealthy. And is, uh, Will Clark Jr. is, the, is, is the, one, of the, one of the main characters in this nonfiction book. You may remember there was a, there's been a book out recently in the last couple of years on his sister named Huguette Clark. You, I don't know if you- Oh, yeah. She was sort of the eccentric that in her later years in life, she had all these mansions all over the place, but she lived in hospitals for like the last 30 years of her life. But she ended up dying with like $400 million or some crazy amount of money for that, for that time period. So anyway, Will is her sister. I'm sorry, take that back. Um, Will is her nephew, her, his, his father and, and her were, were brother and sister. So anyway, Will was married twice to women, but he was as, um, as has come to light he actually was, had um, a number of male lovers and one of them named Harrison Post was the, is the subject of this book. So I'm sort of taking the long route with that. But po the interesting thing about this book is that Post was sort of a self-created person. And it reminds me a lot of the Instagram stars today and things like that. So he came from nothing. He reinvented himself. He changed his name. His sister who was in and out of his life also did similar things. Like she called herself by different names throughout her life. But he, he ended up with Will Clark Jr. and they became partners, even though this was way before anything like that was ever legal, much less um, acceptable in society. But they did stay together for a long time and, and Clark died before he did and left money for him in the will. But the, his life was really chaotic and it's just a fascinating look at like someone who comes from poverty and then just sort of latches on to an empire and somehow figures out how to get in there and um, and then everything that happens to them over the course of their life. So it was great. The next book that I'm in the middle of is uh, is a graphic novel, The Secret to Human Superhuman Strength by Alison Bechtel. Um, Fun Home is probably my favorite um, graphic novel of all time. And agreed, I, agreed. I love that. I love Alison Bechtel. I I she's similar in age to me, so I feel like her sense of humor, like we sort of grew up in sort of parallel. Um, she's a Pennsylvania girl, so I feel like we grew up in sort of parallel universes. I mean, my father was not a funeral director, but, <laughs> um, and not, 
yeah, anyway, it's just, but anyway, the, her new book is really, really funny. It's um, basically, I didn't know this about her, but she's had an obsession with every sort of sort of faddish exercise her whole life. So when yoga started, she got into yoga and, you know, just everything, machines and, you know, running and everything. So literally the whole book is like a chronological order of all of her, um, of her exercising throughout the course of her life. And, you know, within the first couple of frames, because it is a graphic novel, I was just laughing um, out loud. And I love that, especially as we all know, as we come out of COVID and still deal with a lot of COVID, it's just great to have these books that can make you really smile. Absolutely. And Fun Home, if people haven't read that graphic novel, it would be, be an awesome introduction to graphic novels, I think, too. 100%. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. It's so accessible. And it's, a, it's really, you know, people think graphic novels, children, kids, wow. but, but this is really an adult graphic novel. Um, and it's and it's a great introduction to that genre, which can really um, it can really broaden your reading experience, I think. Absolutely. And so the next book is a nonfiction. Again, it's called Let the Record Show, a political history of ACT UP New York from 1987 to 1993. It's by Sarah Shulman. Um, Shulman has been a novelist and a nonfiction writer her whole life. She's also an activist. Um, she created what's called the ACT UP Oral History Project, where she spent a good tw a dozen years interviewing people, um, audio interviews with people that were involved in um, ACT UP, which was the largest um, uh, uh, activist organization in the, the country. And then it ended up being in the world um, during, the AIDS, during the height of the AIDS crisis in the 80s and 90s. So there's been lots of buzz about this book. Um, book Forum and New Yorker both have articles about it that are fantastic. Um, and then, I, you know, Sue, you were talking earlier about connecting with authors online. So one of the people that I follow on Twitter is Saeed Jones, who wrote the great memoir, How We Fight for Our Lives. Oh, yeah. Two years ago. So this is what Saeed said about Sarah's book, which I was just blown away by it. Um, the way I feel about Sarah Shulman's book, Let the Record Show, mirrors how I felt the first time I read The Warmth of Other Suns by Isabel Wilkerson. So first of all, he's he's comparing her to Isabel. I'm, I got chills because- I, Absolutely. Like, I just think that's one of the highest compliments. And he said, deeply grateful for the author's work stunned at the pervasive erasure we endure we endure, and desperate to put copy in everyone's hands. So if you're looking for a nonfiction, politically oriented book for the summer, um, that you know might be something that you might wanna look at. Um, and Philip, what was the name of that one again? That's called Let the Record Show. That's okay. the short title of it. And it's Sarah Shulman um, is the author, S-A-R-A-H, Sarah Shulman. And then uh, there's a great book that um, Sue had referred to me, Bathhouse, and it's spelled H-A-U-S. Um, I read the back of it and look, it looked a little hokey to me, um, but it, it's really a great, it ends up being a really great thriller. And there's a quote from, um, from a reviewer that says it calls it a nightmarish white knuckler about the tenuous relationship between stability and control. So it's a new author. It's out, all these books are out now, by the way, so there, none of them are coming soon. Um, another book that uh, Sue kind of sent to me was uh, when we have advanced reader copies, Last Call um, is also getting a lot of good press. It's um, Last Call, A True Story of Love, Lust, and Murder in Queer New York. This took place in the 1990s, a serial killer in Manhattan. It's a true story. So anybody who's a true crime lover out there, um, you know, is going to be attracted to this. It's examining a serial killer who stalked gay men in the 80s and 90s. Um, it centers the narrative on the people who were slain. So in other words, instead of focusing on the murders themselves or 
focusing on the murderer, he really focuses all of his attention on, you know, what was, were there any connecting threads between the people that were murdered? So really interesting. And a lot of buzz about that one too. A lot of buzz. Yeah. Yeah. He's getting a really good um, press on that. And there then a lot of holds on that too. People are, are placing that on hold. They're hearing about it. Oh, good. Oh, that's really good. That's good to hear. Um, and then just um, because I, I want to make sure that all the letters are um, that were in. So there's a book out called Detransition Baby by Tori Peters that is also getting a lot of buzz right now. Um, and so that is a dramedy of manners um, and it's unafraid to be messy. It's a port portrait of parenthood and personhood. So it's three people, it's fiction. It's three people that are involved in sort of an awkward love triangle. Um, I'm not even sure if you can really call it a love triangle, but it's, um, but it's a, it's a just a really interesting premise with um, a lot of trans issues and trans characters, um, trans characters in that. Oh, there's After Francisco, which has gotten a lot of buzz in the um, LGBT press, Brian Malloy. It's another, um, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of books being written uh, about the HIV crisis, I think, because it's, we have enough time between it now, so it's more historical. So this is 1988. It's about the death of um, a loved one to AIDS. So if you're somebody that's been watching Pose over the last three years, if you're somebody that's read and loved The Great Believers by Rebecca Mackay, is that my That's me. I love that book. Adore yeah, that book. I think After Francesco is another book like that. Oh, good. And then just to end on, the, on, a, on a really positive uh, sort of upbeat summer note, there's two more books that are getting really great buzz. One is called The Gunkle by Stephen Rowley. Um, and he wrote Lily and the Octopus. Uh, so some of you may have read that out there. Um, I did. Uh, and so uh, the word is gunkle with a G. If, you, if you're not familiar with the word, you can call my niece Lauren in Philadelphia because that's what she's been calling me for the last 20 years. So it's get knuckles. <laughs> that's awesome. It's, and it's picked up and sort of gotten gathered storm. But this sounds, I haven't read this. It's, um, it's on my list to read, but it sounds hysterical. It's, um, it's a formerly, formerly famous gay sitcom star who's in Palm Springs his sister dies unexpectedly and he inherits his niece and nephew and they're young and he is not in any kind of position or interest to become a father or a parent. So it's sort of that whole thing of like loss and grief and family and everything like that. And I, if it's anything like Lily, Lily and the Octopus, I'm sure it'll have a great ending to it as well. Um, I had lunch with a friend this weekend who, who read that book and she said, it touched her in so many ways. She said she laughed, she cried, her heart was singing, her heart was breaking. She said there was way more levels than she thought it was going to be when she read it. Oh. And what was his middle book? Was it the editor? It was about Jack. Oh my Vanessa. gosh. Oh my I God. loved that book. <laughs> I can't believe I forgot that because I literally just read that like four months ago or something. It, that was, I actually liked the editor better than Lily and the Octopus. The editor was fantastic. Yeah. So he, it was a fiction book about an author who gets signed for a book in the 80s or 90s and his mm -hmm. um, and um, Jackie Kennedy Onassis becomes his editor. And it and really Rally, apparently Rally was her assistant at one point. And that's oh how, wow. That's how he came up with that story to write the book. Because there's a really sort of gnarly character in that in the book that is Jackie's assistant. So he basically wrote himself as a secondary character in his fiction book. Oh, that's really yeah, funny. Very funny. And then I, I don't want to take up too much time, but one last thing. Um, a lot of people loved Red, White, and Royal Blue, which was a really lighthearted romance, LGBT themed um, about royalty. So 
Um, Casey McQuiston's, her new book is out right now. It's called One Last Stop and people are calling it swoon worthy. So that's one more if you want something light. Um, I think it's more of a female, um, a female, uh, two women in a relationship together, but there's also time travel in it. So it actually sounds really interesting because one of the characters is sort of somebody who's from the seventies and they got stuck in the future by accident. And I hate to use the word buzz again, but it's getting a lot of attention. I should say a lot of good press. Yeah. The first book got a huge amount of attention. Yes. Yeah. Can I talk about what I'm excited about for August? Yeah, I want. I was going to say, if to wrap up, if the two of you could just give us some information, tell us some titles that you're looking forward to reading or that you've read that aren't coming out until the fall or something, just let me know. Yeah. All right. I have three August titles and I know Sue will bounce in at least on one of them, if not two of them, um, but not the first one necessarily. The first one I adored. I cannot wait to put this in people's hands. It's called The Reading List by Sarah Nisha Adams. It comes out on August 3rd and it takes place in a library and how the community comes together. And there's this mysterious list that's, a, that's left maybe on a table or a bulletin board of library books that maybe you should read. And it includes like To Kill a Mockingbird and Rebecca and The Kite Runner. And this list falls into various people's hands and maybe those books bring people together. It is a delight. It takes place in London in um in a multi-ethnic neighborhood and it is wonderful and i really i want to buy so many copies for the library so everybody can get it on the first day wow and then these are the two that i think that sue's going to agree with me on um madness of crowds by louise penny comes out on august 24th can't wait for that cannot wait and if if you are listening to this podcast and you've never read louise penny i'm almost jealous that you get to start from the beginning and meet all these wonderful characters and visit the village of Three Pines and the mysteries. I mean, Sue, what else could you say? I mean, she's just, she's probably one of my top five authors for sure. Yes, she is a favorite of everyone that has read her books, love her books. I've never heard anyone say that they wanted to stop the series. I will say the only, thing about the first book called Still Life. Some people found it a little slow, but I believe it's because it's the setup book. Exactly. All the characters, she fleshes those characters out throughout the series. You come to know them personally. So if you have, if you struggle at all, I didn't, but if you, if anyone struggles at all with that first one, Hang in there because you will absolutely love this series. Agreed. I feel like a kid, like when Nancy Drew new books used to come out, like that, that's how I feel about Louise Penny. Like the anticipation is just wonderful. And then when you're done, you're so sad you have to wait another year. But this time we, we do have to wait another year for that series. But in October, I think she and Hillary Clinton are co-writing a book and that's coming out in the fall sometime. That's very exciting. That's very exciting. To, to rival Bill Clinton and James Patterson. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing when I read, when I saw that in, uh, in our, in our parts that we uh, vote on books for, I saw, I saw Hillary and, and Louise together and I thought, good for them. <laughs> what a great combo. <laughs> I have to say one of the downsides of reading books before they're published, we are so lucky to have access to them from the publishers before they're published. But by the time 
the time between my reading them and them coming out, I am ready for another book to come out. And this one is just getting published. Exactly. So, <laughs> I feel like it takes a lo long, long time before the next one is out when it really, really doesn't. But hopefully you'll get the advanced reader copy before the next publishing date. So yeah, right. yeah. I actually emailed the publisher to find out when that was coming. <laughs> Um, and did you okay. get an answer? I'm, I'm waiting. Did you get an answer? In the next couple of weeks. Okay. So soon. Um, and then if our listeners are familiar with William Kent Kruger from This Tender Land and Ordinary Grace, which were two fabulous books. Um, I loved his voice. I loved his writing. I always knew he had this mystery, this Cork O'Connor mystery series, but it seemed intimidating to me because there's maybe 17 books out already. And I, I thought, oh, I, I don't know when I'm gonna have time to go back to number one. Well, he must've heard me because he, he's going to publish a prequel that sets up how Cork O'Connor came to be who he is, that kind of thing. And it was wonderful. So now I do have to make room for those 14 or 17 books that I haven't read yet because I loved, loved the prequel and it makes me want um, to read more. That's it for me. Anything else, Sue? Uh, well, the one that I am very anxious for, well, I read the, I read it already, but it's coming out in September is by, um, Again, I'm going to have to say another one of my favorite authors, Stuart Neville. Uh -huh. He wrote The Ghosts of Belfast. And if anyone wants to read a wonderful book about the troubles in Northern Ireland, that is a great book. He is such a spectacular writer. But this one is called The House of Ashes. And it's a thriller that takes place. It's told between two voices. One is a modern English woman who has been brought to this old farmhouse in Northern Ireland after a nervous breakdown. She's brought there by her controlling husband. <clears throat> and the other voice is a Northern Irish farm girl who lived at that farm 50 years prior and had lived a nightmare life there and it has ghosts it has creepiness it has intrigue and um all your favorites so. <laughs> retribution that's always good um but but it's spectacular and if you have not read anything by Stuart neville i highly recommend him i also did want to mention that um, summer reading registration has started and we have summer reading for all ages. So we have great book lists um, that you can access. We will have book lists during our summer reading on display here. So if you're ever looking for um, a great book to read, you can always ask staff or, or look at some of our lists. And um, if you have access to Hoopla, that is a great resource that I've been using for my mystery series. If I see a new mystery author coming out with a new book, Hoopla and Libby are great resources to read the backlist before the new book comes out. So great idea. Excellent idea. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you, Sue and Claudia. And thank you listeners so much for joining us for another episode of What Are You Reading podcast. 
brought to you by Fairfield Public Library in Fairfield, Connecticut. Check out our show notes for book titles and authors mentioned today. And please join us next month for another conversation about what we are reading. Thanks to both of you so much. I really appreciate it. It was Thank great. Thank you, Paul. Thank it was you. fun. Thank you. Thank you.